You're listening to the Touch Em Up Podcast. I'm your host, Double Lemon. On today's episode, we have UFC 274 recap and analysis, along with all of the recent fight announcements. And there are a lot and some bangers that have been announced recently for the UFC schedule in 2022. So without any further ado, let's get this started and step into the ring. All right, all right, ladies and gentlemen, UFC 274, obviously, just wrapped up this past Saturday. Um, I'm a little bit, listen, it was a good event, a great event, actually. Co-main event, real stinker, awful fight. We'll get into that in a little bit, but before we get into that, something about that fight that really pissed me off was um, I was running a couple parlays. I don't really dabble in the whole MMA betting. Obviously, I give my predictions. I predict how I think the fight's going to end, what round, and there were a couple I was right on the money, you know, this week especially, but of course... I had a parlay running. I think it was a four-leg parlay. It was Cerrone to win, Royval to win, Chandler to win by KO, and Nama Yunus to defeat Esparza. So obviously the Cerrone one, it's washed because the fight didn't happen. He got food poisoning, and they pulled him out of the fight the day of. So that didn't happen. That's all good. It is what it is. So that would have canceled from the parlay. Um, Brandon Royval beats Matt Schnell. He gets dropped. Um you know, stumbles around. That That's kind of raw dog Roy Vol's game. Like, he's got great striking. He's a good southpaw. He's got a decent right check, right hook, and a straight left. He likes to feint and use those knees up the middle, as you heard when I did my pre-fight breakdown. He gets dropped. You know, Schnell jumps on him, goes for a guillotine, I believe, almost locks it up. Roy Vol spins out of it. Then Roy Vol gets a hold of Schnell in the front. Uh, front headlock and locks up the arm in guillotine and gets, and then I believe he switched it to a gable grip style guillotine. Could be wrong. And he gets the tap. So Roy Vol submits Schnell. Bang, right on the money. I think I got it wrong in the round, but still, boom, right on the money with that one. Um, You know, and then Chandler to win by KO. Boom. You know, it was a little scary in the beginning. Ferguson looked good. He came in, I believe, dropped. Chandler with a left hand, he switched southpaw, boom, caught him with a left hook, he, he stumbled, Chandler like backflipped out of it almost, you know, where he kind of falls back and then rolls to his feet, Ferguson stumbled him again with an elbow, Chandler survives it, Chandler's circling, 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 boom, he goes for a lot of low kicks in the fight, he goes, boom, throws that front kick, knocks Tony Ferguson out cold. Um, I, I've kind of been on a roll here when it comes to Tony Ferguson's career and the downward spiral. Now, before I talk about it, don't get me wrong. I love Tony Ferguson. I, I've always been a huge fan of Tony. Uh, nobody wanted Tony to beat Habib more than I did, even though that fight got booked like seven or eight times and it never happened. Probably the most cursed fight in the history of mixed martial arts. But I, nobody was a bigger fan of Tony than me at the time. You know, but I knew after that Gaethje loss at 249 that Tony was just not going to be the same guy anymore. And he looked like he was returning to form early in the fight. Like I said, he scared me a little bit when he dropped Chandler with that shot up against the cage and kind of walked forward, almost had him out of there. But you see Chandler kind of moving left and right. He was moving laterally. He threw the right low kick. He threw the right leg like he was going to go for a Muay Thai style outside low kick on the lead leg of Tony. He looked like he was going to turn his hip over, you know, baseball bat style motion and chop the lead leg. 
But what he did is he brought his leg forward like a round kick, and then he changed the direction of it to come up with a front kick up the middle. As Tony went to reach to either check, grab, or block the low kick, whether he was going to deflect it with a Wing Chun style or catch underneath the heel to catch it or catch it through a right hand or left hand and then use that to kind of crowd Chandler and get a takedown. He reached down. As he reached down, the direction of the kick changed. He came up the middle. So it went from going around the side to coming up the middle, almost like a reverse question mark kick type of movement. Because when you throw a question mark kick, you fake the front kick, whether it's to the body or to the head, and then you switch your hips and come around and and throw down. So instead of going straight up, and then coming around to go around the guard and land the question mark kick, he went around and then changed the trajectory of the right low kick to come up the center with that front kick. Chandler caught Tony flush on the chin. Tony reached down. So when you're reaching down to block the kick, you're adding the momentum and the impact of the kick because you're going down as the front kick is coming up to smack your chin. So it's force meet force you're moving down as the power is coming up it's going to add to that force and he got hit with that front kick and it was almost like he got shot by a sniper I mean knocked out cold head hits the mat his neck goes all over the place and he's out cold face down ass up um listen I like I said I I it was hard to see Tony lose that way, but I was not surprised. I was surprised that he finished it with a front kick. I thought if Chandler was going to knock out Tony, it was going to be with that left hook right hand or the one-two down the middle or catching him with a left hook. Mainly the one-two. I thought it was either going to be the one-two or the hook cross. But he knocked him out with a front kick. Clean knockout, one of the nastiest knockouts you'll ever see. You can actually watch my little short 30, 40-second breakdown of that knockdown on my TikTok which is the same as the podcast name, Touch Em Up Podcast, or the YouTube channel, which is the Touch Em Up Podcast on YouTube. I have a YouTube short, and I also have a TikTok discussing both of those, or discussing that fight and the finish and why it ended the way that it did. But I feel like we broke it down pretty well on this you know, explanation that I just gave you. It was almost like a reverse question mark kick. You could kind of call it like a reverse crescent kick also, because when he threw the kick... He threw his hips in. He moved his back foot forward as he took that step off the center line like he was going to turn his hips over to go with a low kick, but then he changed the trajectory of it and came up the middle. So it was like, I'm going this way, boop, and that's exactly, oh, I'm going this way, bop, come up the middle. So fake the low kick. Uh, Ferguson goes to catch it, lower the level, force meet force, lowering Tony's head as the Chandler front kick comes up the center, boom, cracks him on the chin, and nighty night goes the boogeyman. No more nightmares for anybody that night. The boogeyman was put to sleep. Um, Tough for Tony, really tough. Big win for Chandler. First guy to knock Tony Ferguson out cold. I know the first guy to technically finish Ferguson was Justin Gaethje, but that was a standing TKO where the ref stopped it. This was a clean KO. First guy to clean KO Tony Ferguson. Um, Yeah, and honestly, I think that for Chandler, I think it's going to probably be McGregor next. Um, It honestly depends, though, because, you know, we'll get into the main event with Oliveira versus Gaethje, but, you know, Gaethje... Lost to Oliveira. He got submitted after getting dropped with the straight left by Oliveira. And then following that up, so he loses, right? So Oliveira calls out McGregor, 
after the fight. He says, I'm the best. McGregor, if you want it, come get it. You guys are stupid if you think that the UFC is going to try to not book a McGregor fight, especially when the champion asked for it. I wouldn't be surprised. I could see Chandler or um, McGregor versus Oliveira being next because technically speaking, I know you're saying Islam Mahachev is the next challenger for Oliveira. I think Mahachev versus Oliveira is the most competitive fight. I think that is the best fight in terms of matchmaking to make next. I would agree. And then you do Chandler versus Conor McGregor because Chandler called out McGregor after his win over Ferguson. Cut a great promo. You know, Michael Chandler's got some great promo skills, great mic skills, um, kind of like an old school wrestling style promo. And um, he's very good at it. And then he's cut a few of them and they're they're always great. You know, he's a, he's a great promoter, great on the mic after a win. And I think I think the best fight to make in terms of making sense and also for the fans would be Michael Chandler versus Conor McGregor at 155. Then you would do Oliveira versus Mahachev for the Undisputed Championship. But thinking logically, okay, so originally I thought take Chandler or take Mahachev out of it. It's not going to happen because he's fighting Dariush. Dariush has an ankle injury, so Dariush versus Mahachev is, is done. It's not happening. Um, I, they talked about that a while ago, but, you know, it, it just isn't going to happen. So, you know, thinking if if that's not going to happen and, and Dariush is off the table, McGregor is kind of the only logical option because Oliveira beat Poirier. He beat Gaethje this weekend. He beat, um, yeah, so he beat Chandler. He beat Poirier. He beat Gaethje. I mean, those are your top guys right there. Mahachev's a top guy. He beat Bobby Green in his last fight, but he hasn't fought that top level of competition. Now, if he were to have fought Dariush and got past Dariush, then you can make a title fight and make a case for him to get a title shot. Oliveira versus Mahachev is a great fight. Fantastic fight. With Oliveira's ever-improving striking game and slick jujitsu, and then Mahachev's decent striking game, Good ability to throw strikes on the feet, comfortability to throw strikes on the feet, but also fall back on that Dagestani wrestling Habib 2.0 style with more of an attack on getting a finish. Habib was great at control and ground and pound and just kind of mauling you. Mahachev does the same thing, but he's a little bit more methodical with the way he breaks people down and he looks for a finish more than Habib did. So it's like Habib 2.0. Um, and he's better on the feet. So, yeah, Mahachev is like Habib 2.0. So you got Habib 2.0 versus Charles Oliveira. I think that's a great fight. I, I like the fight a lot, but I don't know if they're going to make Mahachev and Oliveira because Oliveira called for McGregor. All right, this is what I'm going to say. If I'm in charge of making the fights, this is what I do. Okay, so... For the lightweight championship, you make Oliveira. Oh, man, it's so hard because maybe you could give Oliveira some time off, but I don't necessarily think they're going to do that. Like, Oliveira called out McGregor, but I think I think realistically speaking, they're going to make Chandler versus Connor. I think the hardest thing is determining who's going to fight Oliveira next for the championship. And I think... Let's see. You know what? Let's pull up the rankings really quick. Because this will help us a lot. Let's go to lightweight. Lightweight division. Okay. So you got the champion, Oliveira. 
Poirier, Gaethje, Mahachev, Chandler, Dariush, RDA, Gregor Gillespie, Conor McGregor, and Tony Ferguson. That's your top 10. The number 15, 11 through 15, Faziv, Sarukian, Hooker, Gamrot, Riddell. Great top 15, amazing top 15. But Oliver is the champ. So number one is probably Dustin Poirier. So these, these rankings should change um, very soon. And they should have changed now. I think this is actually a mistake. So, you know, Oliver is the champ. Boom. He beats Gaethje. He beats Poirier. He beats Chandler. He beats Kevin Lee. Um, he, he's does not going to fight any of those guys next. It's not going to be a rematch with Chandler. He's not going to fight Poirier again. He's not going to fight Gaethje because he just beat him. I think Mahachev versus Oliveira is the most logical. Um, I don't think that Mahachev has earned a title shot yet. In my opinion, I think he has to fight one more guy before he gets to a title shot. I don't know who that guy would be. Maybe a Michael Chandler. I don't know. Maybe a Benil Dariush. I think Mahachev and Dariush was perfect. So I think what they should do is focus on rebooking Mahachev versus Dariush. Then I think you go Oliveira versus McGregor. Then I think you go Poirier versus Gaethje number two. They had a great first fight. They both lost to the champion. I think that's a perfect fight right now. The most perfect fight to make in the lightweight division now after what happened this weekend is Gaethje versus Poirier 2 in a fight night main event. Five rounds. So if we take Gaethje and we take Poirier out, that's number two and number three. If we're going off of what I think the UFC will do, I'm going to say Mahachev versus Oliveira for the title. I don't agree with it, but I kind of think that's what's going to be next. So then it would be Poirier versus Gaethje 2, Oliveira versus Mahachev for the lightweight title, and then Michael Chandler versus Conor McGregor in the lightweight division. I think that's probably, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I just don't think that Islam deserves the title shot yet. If it was up to me, I would do... Oliveira versus McGregor for the lightweight title because, you know, he's got Mahachev, but Mahachev hasn't fought that top 10, top 5 guy in the division yet. So I would do Oliveira versus McGregor. Then I would do Chandler. Yeah, Oliveira versus McGregor. Poirier versus Gaethje. And Chandler versus the winner of Poirier versus Gaethje. Yeah, because then it would be Oliveira versus McGregor. Boom, you got them good. Poirier versus Gaethje. Boom, you got that. Chandler sits out for a little bit and then fights the winner of Poirier versus Gaethje. And then the winner of the fight between Chandler and the winner of Poirier versus Gaethje could fight the winner of Oliveira versus McGregor next. And then Benil Dariush could come in, get a shot against the winner of... Uh, man, it's just it's just hard because, you know, you can't give title shots to the top to three out of the top five guys. That's why the McGregor title fight right now, like, realistically speaking, makes a lot of sense. The, the McGregor and Oliveira fight, as we sit right now, makes more sense than Mahachev versus Oliveira for the title. Because Oliveira has not, or I'm sorry, Mahachev has not fought a top 10 guy yet. 
Bobby Green isn't even ranked in the top 15. He fought Dan Hooker, who at the time I think may have been ranked in the top 10. I believe he might have been 7 or 8, but now he's ranked 13 because he lost to Arnold Allen following that fight at 145. So I think, man, okay. It's just like one person is going to be left out. Dariush is injured, so he's gone for right now. Chandler just won. All right, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. Agree with me to disagree. It's fine. Here's what I do. Charles Oliveira versus Conor McGregor for the lightweight title. Justin Gaethje versus Dustin Poirier, two in a five-round main event of a fight night. Michael Chandler <laughs> versus Nate Diaz at 170. I know they kind of have been going back and forth. Um, I don't think that Chandler... I don't think Chandler needs to fight Diaz. I definitely don't think that, but I like that fight stylistically for both guys. So I think Chandler versus Diaz at UFC 277, which is on July 30th. So yeah, yeah, July 30th. So let's say you do Diaz versus Chandler at UFC 277 on July 30th. Then you do Oliveira versus McGregor, Poirier versus Gaethje 2, Islam fights the winner of Oliveira versus McGregor for the title, or he could fight the winner of Poirier versus Gaethje. Actually, I like that better. Oliveira, Oliveira versus McGregor, boom. Poirier versus Gaethje 2, boom. Mahachev fights the winner of Poirier versus Gaethje, boom. The winner of... Oliver versus McGregor would fight the winner of whoever wins Poirier versus Gaethje 2 and Islam Mahachev. Then Michael Chandler fights De Nate Diaz at 170 because they're talking about it and he wants to go up. And then you've got RDA versus Fazeev that's currently booked. Tony Ferguson, I think he kind of doesn't fit into anything currently, but if I'm going to give Tony a fight, I think he should hang it up. I think he's done. I think he should retire. In my opinion, I just think he's taken too much damage. He looked good in this last fight. He looked. He showed that he still has it a little bit, but I don't want to see him take any more damage. But if we're going off the fact that he's going to come back, then I like Tony Ferguson versus Dan Hooker, and I also like Tony Ferguson versus potentially a Brad Riddell. I like Ferguson versus Diaz, but I have a weird feeling they're going to book Chandler versus Diaz for July 30th. So, yeah, I mean, that's just my quick thoughts on 155 currently. It's so stacked. You know, you got RDA versus Rafael Fazeev. You got Armin Sarukian versus Mateus Gamrot, which is number 12 versus number 14. I mean, it's stacked beyond belief, but, you know, it is what it is. Let's talk about the main event really quick. Oliveira and still retains the lightweight championship over Justin Gaethje in a barn burner via first round rear naked choke submission. But early on in the fight, he suffered. He, he went through a lot of adversity. You know, Oliveira got caught with a left hook from Justin Gaethje twice. One time he stumbled him, knocked him down with a left hook. Another time he hit him with a left hook. Boom. And he froze and fell straight backwards. I thought that was the end of the fight. That second knockdown that Gaethje got where he hit Oliveira with that left hook and then Oliveira kind of fell back and was like, whoa, like, you know, what, what is that? You know, I thought that was it. But 
you can't jump on a guy like Oliveira on the ground if you're Gaethje because you know you're going to get submitted and stopped if you go to the ground with him. So he had to let him up. But in letting him up, you wake up Oliveira 2.0. It's it's literally like a Call of Duty perk when it comes to Charles Oliveira. You hurt him. You drop him. He looks like he's out of the fight. And then after he gets dropped and looks like he's 100% done, he comes back and he drops you. He gets in your face. He pressures and he, and he fucks you up. I mean, honestly speaking, he Fs you up. And that's just how he is. That's that's Oliveira. It's it's literally a Call of Duty perk. Oliveira 2.0 awakens once he gets knocked down in the fight. The best version of Charles Oliveira is not in the fight until he gets hurt or dropped. That's just how Oliveira is. And that's how he's been for his last three fights. Poirier dropped him twice. He comes back, dominates the second round, subs him in the third round. You know? Gaethje drops him twice. He comes back, drops Gaethje with a straight left from Southpaw, which was probably the hardest punch Gaethje's ever been hit with because he just was out from that punch once he hit the ground. And when he hit the ground, he woke up. Then Oliveira jumps on him, punches him down, boom, 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 boom. Goes for an arm bar, I believe, or a triangle. Gaethje gets out of it, and then he takes his back and looks for the rear naked choke and gets the submission. Let's see. I want to pull up. Can we get some highlights for this? Yeah. All right. Give me a second. There's gold on the line when both of us. Oh no, nah, these aren't these aren't the right highlights. Somebody's got highlights up here. <laughs> Give me a second. Here we go. I think these are highlights. At least it looks like that. Yeah, so Oliveira obviously moving forward. Gaethje was fainting. He was throwing the right low kick, which was landing a lot on Oliveira. But the first time he dropped them, he threw a low kick. They they got in close. Gaethje went with an overhand right followed by a left hook. They tied up in like a tie plum or a single collar clinch. And Gaethje actually hurt Oliveira. I believe it was with a right uppercut in close. So he ties up. Boom. Right hook, right uppercut. Breaking the guard. Oliveira immediately gets back up. Walks forward. He throws the left jab. He throws his lead jab. Gaethje slips inside the jab. Comes over the top with the right hand left hook, and then a follow-up overhand right. So it actually wasn't the left hook that hurt him in either exchange, but it hurt him in the midst of the combination that dropped them. So he went he went right, overhand right, left hook, boom, overhand right. Oliveira stumbles, he drops his hands, falls backwards. Then Gaethje lets him up. They go back to the center. Oliveira's moving around. He's circling left and right. Gaethje goes again with an overhand right and a left hook. He wings the left hook. Oliveira fades off to his rear side, to his right, to get an angle, and then comes back with a 3-2 as he's on that dominant angle away from the power right hand of Gaethje. So he's faded off to his rear side, 
to find that angle and then come back on the counter. Oliveira's angles in the middle of a combination and his defense to avoid big power shots shift off to the rear side and throw either a 3-2 or a 1-2 or a 2-3-2 right uppercut. He's got great ability to fade off to his rear side and throw a combination. He then threw a flying knee into a guillotine attempt, an arming guillotine attempt, let it go, framed off with the lead hand, which was his left hand, got on the outside of the lead hand of Gaethje, which was his left, which would avoid the power right if Gaethje were to turn into Oliveira, and then came over the top with a right hand as he faded off to his rear side to land that right hand. That's what I'm talking about. He's very good at avoiding the power, negating the power by shifting off to his rear side and then getting on the outside of the opponent's jab if they're orthodox and using that to frame off with the lead hand and come over the top with an overhand right, left hook, overhand right, left uppercut. He's very good at that, and you saw it in this fight. Again, the front kick, the left hook into the right uppercut. The right uppercut, I believe, did stun Gaethje a little bit. He came back with a low kick. Gaethje threw a low kick, but he kind of overthrew it. They got into a clinch exchange again. He went for an overhand right and a left hook. He missed the overhand right. The left hook landed, but, but Oliveira's hand was up, so it didn't really have enough power to put him down. Oliveira did a beautiful job of getting the overhook on the right arm of Gaethje. I believe it was an underhook, actually. Yeah, an underhook on the right arm of Gaethje and then over the top with the head control. So he got the underhook on the right side with the head control and used that to jump guard and pull Gaethje to the mat. And then in that time, he could kind of recover a little bit. They got back up to the feet. Gaethje again went with the right low kick. But Oliveira was so good at getting his leg up. He would pull his leg up and back to avoid the calf kick. So he didn't try to check it. He didn't try to, you know, brace for it. He just pulled his lead leg up and took one short step back. That would avoid the kick, allow for the power to make Gaethje swing through and then have to, you know, be off balance for a second. That could, again, aid Oliveira in shifting off to his rear side and landing the right-hand left hook or the one-two or the right-hand lead left uppercut. He's very good, like I said, at fading off to his rear side when he's orthodox versus orthodox. Again, you'll see it here where Gaethje went to throw the jab to the body, and then he lands the jab to the body, does change his level, but Oliveira uses the left hand to measure briefly as Gaethje changes levels to throw the jab to the body and then comes down the center with the straight right hand as Gaethje tries to throw his left hand. But he's inside of the wide left hand or left hook primarily would be what Gaethje was going to throw. It's one of his best shots. He's inside of that left hand. So that straight is already there and the wide shot is not going to win. Straight punches beat looping punches. Shout out to Weasel MMA. That's exactly what you see there as he goes to the body and then he follows up with the right hand as he goes to the body. They get in close. They get in close. Gaethje gets dropped to the right hand. I thought it was a left hand. I could have sworn it was a left hand, but they got in close. Gaethje was trying kind of square. He had a stance square because he was pressured. He was backing up. Gaethje does not do well when the fighter pressures him. Gaethje is a pressure fighter. He doesn't do the best when he's the one being pressured. Gaethje's left hand is down. His right hand is reaching to control the lead hand of Oliveira. That opens up the shot for the boom. Straight left hand right to the chin of Gaethje. Drops him. He goes down. Basically is out from that shot when he hits the ground. He wakes up when he hits the ground. Oliveira jumps on him, controls the left arm 
with his left leg as he tries to get his hooks in to take the back and get the rear naked choke. He goes for the rear naked choke. He switches it to the arm bar. He's attacking it. He's kind of in a position for a triangle as well, so he changes it to a inverted triangle. Gaethje rolls out of it, but in the position change, he gives up his back. Oliveira takes his back, gets the rear naked choke, and gets the first round submission. Who is going to beat Charles Oliveira? Honestly, honestly, in my opinion, the best chance at 155 pounds is Conor McGregor. Disagree with me all you want, but Gaethje's power is amazing. He's probably got the most powerful shots at 155. I would agree with that, but I also believe in my heart of hearts that the power that McGregor possesses, along with his accuracy and speed, would make up for the raw power that Gaethje has. The precision and the technique that McGregor has in his left hand, in his lead right uppercut, in his 2-5-2, in his jab, pairing with the power that McGregor has, I think it would make it a lot harder for Oliveira to win that fight in a stand-up exchange. 100%, I believe that. <laughs> but honestly speaking, I mean, lightweight is kind of logged jam, log jammed, but they have so many options at their disposal. You know, it's kind of like, you. I mean, we already read the top 15. There's so many fights you can make in the top 15. The fights we have right now that are made, a lot of the top 15 is already spoken for. You know, you've got RDA versus Rafael Fazeev, which is 7 versus 11. You've got McGregor most likely fighting Oliveira or Chandler. So he's probably spoken for for his next fight. Ferguson, we don't know. I mean... Who knows, honestly. I like Ferguson versus Nate Diaz, but I think Tony should probably hang it up. I think he's still got a little bit left in the tank, but in that top 15, I think Dan Hooker and then Nate Diaz outside of the rankings are his real only options currently. You got Gamrot versus Sarukian, which is 12 versus 14. Riddell doesn't have a fight yet, but it looks like they're going to make one. I think it's going to be Riddell versus Gregor Gillespie which is 15 versus 8. So that would take care of 15, 14, 12, 11, you know, 9, 8, 7. And then the top 5, you kind of got to figure out what you want to do. If I'm making fights for the top 15, we'll do it really quick. Oliveira versus... All right, I'm just going to do this. I'm, I'm sick of going over this because I feel like I'm contradicting myself a lot. But if I got to make fights for everybody right now, here's what we do. Oliveira versus Mahachev, Poirier versus Gaethje 2, Chandler versus McGregor, Darius fights the winner of Chandler versus McGregor, or I'm sorry, Darius fights the winner of Poirier versus Gaethje 2, then you do RDA versus Fazeev, whoever wins that fights the winner of Gregor Gillespie and Brad Riddell, so the winner of Brad Riddell versus Gregor Gillespie fights the winner of RDA versus Rafael Fiziev. I mean, if Fiziev and Riddell win both their fights, I don't think they're going to run that back, but I could see that, you know, going that way. You got the winner of Armin Saryukian versus Mateus Gamrot. Whoever wins that, have them fight the winner of a potential Dan Hooker, Tony Ferguson fight. And then, yeah, you kind of make sense for the entire top 15 right there. So, you know, do with it what you will. But 
Up next, you got, we already talked about Roy Vol submitting Matt Schnell. Recently, yesterday, they announced that In the Works is going to be an interim flyweight title fight since the champion Davison Figueredo is injured. It's going to be between my boy out of city kickboxing, Kai Cara France, and Brandon, the assassin, baby Moreno. Now, Moreno is coming off of that, you know, questionable decision loss to Figueredo. Kai Carfrance coming off that beautiful performance and that decision victory over Askar Askarov. So Roy or, um, Moreno and Kai Carfrance fought at UFC 245 on the prelims. I believe it was either the headliner of the prelims or potentially the early prelims. And they fought. And Kai Carfrance probably won the first round. He dropped Roy or uh, Brandon Moreno with that left hook right hand. I believe he f- kind of plays with the guard like he does. Like we've talked about, he'll play with your hands. One, two, three. One, two, three, pull the hands down, two, three, one, two, step in with the jab, one, two, pull the hand down, right hook, straight left, one, two, three, two, pull the hands down, uppercut, left hook. He likes to manipulate your guard with his hands in the middle of his three, four, or five punch combinations. He won the first round against Moreno, and then Moreno was starting to use that right hand shifting into the lead left high kick, kind of like a Jan Blahovich from Southpaw where he'll shift forward or from Orthodox where he'll shift forward with the straight right into Southpaw and then use that to open up the lane to land the switch left power kick to the body. So um, it's not even a switch kick, but it's kind of a switch kick because he's changing stances as he throws that cross to cut you off, get on an angle, and then fire that power left body kick. It's a little bit similar, but Moreno was throwing it to the head. The right hand into the left kick to the head. One, two, three. Right, right, straight, left, high kick. Left hook, right hand. One, two, three. Left, left hook into the straight right. I mean, he he took over in the second and the third round, busting up Kai Car France's face, but he lost the first round. Close fight. Moreno got the decision. I think Moreno versus Kai Car France at this current point, it doesn't need to be for an interim championship. You could literally make it a co-main event to a pay-per-view or a main event of a fight night. And the winner of that fight would then fight Davis and Figueredo for the undisputed flyweight title. Um, I love the fact that Kai Car France and Moreno got rebooked. Um, I like Kai Car France's chances. I would probably lean towards him to get the victory in that rematch. I think he's a much better fighter now than it than the first time they fought. And I think he's really refined his fakes and feints. His his striking and his grappling has gotten so much better. So I I actually like his chances to beat Moreno in that rematch. I would probably lean Kaikar France against Moreno if that fight does get booked for July. Um, you know, and then whoever would win. Okay, so what I would do is let's say Kaikar France Moreno, boom. Let's say Kai wins. So Kai would fight Figueredo. Whoever wins that fight would then go and fight Brandon Royval, who just got that submission victory over Matt Schnell. I think he's right there. He's right there for a title shot, in my opinion. So since they're doing the interim title fight, I think it's probably going to be the winner of Cara France and Moreno fights Davison Figueiredo for the undisputed title. Then Brandon Moreno, or I'm sorry, then Brandon Royval would sit and wait for the winner of that fight to fight for the title. If they don't want to do that, then... No, actually, that's just that's what's going to happen. That's exactly what's going to happen. If they make it the interim title fight, then the winner of Car France versus Moreno 2 would fight Davison Figueredo for the undisputed championship. Then whoever wins that fight would go on to fight Brandon Rod Dog Royval for the flyweight title. That's what I would do. And then you got guys at flyweight in the mix like Alexandre Pantoja, you know, and Mohamed Mokaev 
and Manel Kopp. I mean, Mateus Nicolau. There's a lot of guys at 125 that are very, very sharp and very crisp and very clean fighters. So I could definitely see, you know, that going into it. We're going to talk a little bit about the co-main event. Honestly, um, I don't really want to talk about it. I had a parlay that I already talked about where Rose kind of shit the bed for me. I'm still a huge fan of Thug Rose Nami Yunus, um, but the fight was terrible. It's one of the worst fights I've ever seen. Um, don't watch it. You'll probably fall asleep. And that's not crapping on either of those women. It was just a terrible fight. I mean, it was one of the worst fights I've ever seen. Um, you know, Adesanya versus Romero makes that fight. It, they, that make This fight makes that fight look like one of the best barn burners in the UFC. And I think that's saying a lot and saying about all you need to know. So... You know, Carla Esparza is the new champion. They're not going to run back Rose and Carla. I think it would definitely make sense because I don't necessarily think you should have given Carla the title there. I think she did just enough to potentially get the decision, but I don't really think that she won the championship. But I guess you can't really say too much about this fight, and you can't be mad either way they give Either way, the decision went because both women just really didn't do anything for 25 minutes. So, you know, it is what it is, and I'm not going to spend any more time on that. Um, more than likely, the winner of Joanna versus Whaley 2 at UFC 275 will fight Carla Esparza. And then potentially the loser of that fight would fight Rose Namajunas, or Rose Namajunas could fight Marino Rodriguez. I actually like that fight a lot. Um, if it was up to me, the winner of... Joanna Whaley 2 fights Esparza, and then Rose fights Marina Rodriguez, and then the winner of Rose and Rodriguez would then fight the winner of whoever wins Joanna Whaley 2 and Carla Esparza. So that, that's kind of how I see it. I want Rose to get the rematch because I love Rose. She's my favorite women's fighter in all of MMA, but I it makes sense that they wouldn't book that fight for a third time right out the gate. So um, yeah, I think that the best option is the winner of Joanna Whaley 2 fights Carla Esparza for the title, and then Rose fights Marina Rodriguez. In my opinion, that's the way to go. And then Adesanya, well, those are fight announcements. Um, you know, we talked about Roy Vol submitting Matt Schnell. Francisco Trinaldo and Danny Roberts had a fantastic fight on the prelims. Roberts won the first round pity pretty clearly, but then the power of Trinaldo was just way too much for Roberts. Every time he landed a power shot, whether it was an overhand right, a straight right hand, a straight left, an overhand left, he was hurting Danny Roberts, knocking him all over the octagon, making him do the chicken dance, and he would eventually go on to get the decision. So Trinaldo beats Danny Roberts. I like Danny Hot Chocolate Roberts. Um, I'd like to see him get back on track. Um, I don't know who he'd fight in his next fight, but I'm interested to see it, whoever it is. And then Andre Fialo knocks out Cameron Van Camp. And man, a beautiful left hook. One of the most beautiful left hooks you'll see in the game of MMA. Um, I'm going to look it up really quick. He got hurt at the end of the first round. Van Camp actually hurt him, I believe, with a left hook. Here, we'll pull it up real quick. Straight left, right hand, boom, boom. 
watching it right now, so if you don't hear much from me, that's why. Um, let's see. Kind of feeling each other out, walking forward. Sorry for a lot of the silence here, but, you know, it makes sense when... I'm just watching it, trying to break it down for you. Some jabs from Fialo. Van Camp kind of walking forward. A lot of low kicks. Boom, boom. Steps forward. Right hand, left hook, right hand. Left hook into a right uppercut that almost cracks the chin of Van Camp. Um, so what happened is he walks forward, right? Gets hit with a jab. Fialo tries to follow up with a right uppercut, but Van Camp just backs up, doesn't lower his level. Van Camp comes in with a left hook and a right uppercut, and then Fialo catches him with a left hook on the chin as he's throwing that right uppercut. So they threw the exact same combination. So Fialo goes left hook into a right uppercut. He gets hit with the left hook, does Van Camp, but he pulls back away from the right uppercut. Then Van Camp goes, well, I'll do you one better. Goes left hook, right uppercut as he throws the uppercut. The left hook lands, you know, Fialo catches it on the right hand being up, catches it on the guard. Then he pulls down as Van Camp's chin is up in the air because he's trying to come up the middle with the uppercut. Fialo does a little catch and shoot. He catches the right hand on the guard, pulls it down, and uses that to pull down the hand of Van Camp, which would be his left hand. And then, boom, pops him with a left hook while his chin's up in the air and also gets off on an angle as he pivots off, you know, to his left side. And, dude, just cracks Van Camp on the chin. Just phenomenal left hook. Um, one of the best left hooks in the game. I think Fialo has one of the best left hooks. Left hook, right uppercut. Almost gets him. Van Camp goes left hook, right uppercut. He catches and shoots the left hook in as he goes for the uppercut. Boom, chin check. Knocked out cold. Fialo. I believe a first round KO for Andre Fialo. Let's see. Uh, yeah, first round, two minute, 35 seconds in to the first round. It says that Fialo has another fight booked already, but that's two back-to-back -back KOs for Fialo, one over Van Camp and then another in his last fight. Let's see. Apparently, he has a fight booked for UFC 275, but we don't know who that's against. I'm not sure who he would fight, but let's see. His last win was over Miguel Baeza, so a first-round KO over Miguel Baeza and then a first-round KO over Cameron Van Camp. It was April and then May, so he's fought in April, then May. Then he says he has a fight booked at UFC 275, which would be April, May, June, so that'd be three fights in three months. For Andre Fialo. I like this guy. I think he's absolutely fantastic. And I can't wait to see where Fialo goes. He's clean. He's crisp. He's got technical. He's got technical shots. That left hook is beautiful. But the power he possesses, man, along with his footwork. He trains under Henry Hooft, you know, over with all those guys at, uh, what's the name of the gym? Sanford MMA. So I, I like Andre Fialo. And that win over Van Camp was amazing. It's actually a funny story. One of my boys who we've been trying to get on the podcast for a while, um, Mikey, he used to coach Dan Stigen. If I'm saying his name wrong, Mikey, you can get at me. But 
Coach Dan Stigen. Stigen actually got knocked out by Wonderboy in the UFC. When Wonderboy landed that one-two and then landed that high kick over the lead shoulder of the opponent as he faded off. And it's one of Wonderboy's best KOs, you know, where he gets that uh, the high kick over the shoulder and drops him. That was Stigen. Stigen fought Van Camp back on like the regional scene, and Van Camp actually won a decision. But I just thought that was kind of a funny story to include here in a cool little tidbit. For anybody who likes kind of the regional scene of MMA, I think that's pretty cool. So, um, yeah, but hopefully we'll get Mikey on the podcast soon. But I was going to go into a lot of the fight announcements and stuff, but there's honestly so many that I'm going to hold off for another episode. I think I may drop a second episode on Thursday. So look out for a second episode of this podcast coming Thursday. But I think that's going to be it for today. I hope you enjoyed my UFC 274 recap. Fights they should make, fights they should make at lightweight, and just a lot of stuff like that. So I'm your host, Double M, and I'm out. Have a good night, everybody, all right?